You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's up, dude? You're the worst. I know. He didn't hit record, so now we got to start over. We were like 15 minutes in. We're still getting used to this equipment, man. I don't know how. All right. We're doing... I don't even know where to start. We got to start from the very beginning. This sucks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Dude, this has happened. How many episodes have we recorded? We've recorded over 100 at this point. Yeah. And this has happened twice. I think we're fine. We're fine. All right, people. <laughs> Follow us on <laughs> every platform ever. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcast, iTunes, YouTube. Ziggerbox. Ziggerbox. Just <laughs> iHeart. Whatever. Wherever you want to get a platform. Um then go to that platform and download it, and then I guarantee we are on that said platform. So, whatever. Just, you know what? I can't. I'm so... Dude, we were on such a roll. Everything was great, and then you just immediately interrupted our awesome 15th thought, and you're like, we didn't hit record. All right. We're drinking... <laughs> we're drinking whiskey. Thank God. And it is Fighting 69th's 80-proof Irish whiskey. There's a lot of history. We don't have time for it. I'm living in the X-Files. And... <laughs> Uh, we are going to rate it, enjoy it, and discuss why this is what it is, why it's great. And this was a gift from a mega fan, so thank you. We're not going to shout out his name, OPSEC. So we appreciate you, and you know who you are. So that is what we're going to be enjoying. And who are we talking about today, Mike? And we're going to talk about Frank Lloyd Wright, who's an architect who designed homes and... We'll dive into how one of his properties started on fire and people died, but that's fine. So, didn't he have some water that was falling in another one of his properties? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so annoyed. Oh, but yes, God. he has. Didn't they like reinforce it? <laughs> it sucks when you're trying to go off memory of like, what did we already say for the episode that wasn't recorded? So now we're just oh, laughing. God. But yes, he designed a house called Falling Waters in Pennsylvania. And the engineers looked at the property and realized that it's not strong enough to structurally be supported. So, or structurally sound or whatever the term is. I don't build houses. So anyways, they reinforced it when he went around back to like take a leak and yep. threw some steel in there. So anyways. So if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Yeah. Also, once you hit that subscribe button, if you can press a like on this video and then leave a comment, let us know 
if you would have even known we restarted based of our fluid talking and i don't think people would have known that we restarted i i don't know maybe probably not we're we are so bad at this and we've been doing it for close to two years oh we're fine i love it but anyway so i broke my toilet you broke your toilet i don't know if i told you that before (laughs) your beard oil fell out of your medicine cabinet it's actually my beard bomb Okay. You got to grow a beard, man. Then you can experience the lavish lifestyle that I live, living off of beard brand products, not a sponsor. If they want to be a sponsor, they sure can be because I live off of their stuff. So my hair care routine for the upper body, you know what I'm saying? I got beard, beard balm, beard oil, beard shampoo, because there's different shampoo you should be using for your beard hair. And then I have sea salt spray, regular shampoo, and regular hair mousse, all from the same company. What they provided, though, was a thing like this big, and it's all glass. You're acting like you've heard this story before. Uh, This thing's like (laughs) all glass. And as it was falling out of my medicine cabinet above my toilet, it shattered the top part of my porcelain toilet. So not this reinforced steel thing that the bomb came in it didn't break but my toilet broke so now i don't know what to do because i don't know if you can just go out and buy a top part of your toilet most likely not i feel so awkward like who do i even talk to about this like yeah man i just broke my toilet that doesn't happen correct just buy a bidet have you ever used one yes When are we going to catch up? Where were we where we can just continue like we're not just trying to... We were like 58 minutes in. (laughs) Dude, that would suck. Good thing I did look down at my failure. But yeah, can you imagine being... I'm just happy that that hasn't happened in an interview. It happened in one interview where we're like, you know what? Let's just dial it back after you said a joke. What was it? What was your joke? It was with the bagel jar. Yeah. Then your joke was what? It's in... We opened with it. Um... I can't remember. It was a dad joke. Finagle my bagel. Yeah, finagle my bagel. And then just forgot the press record, so we had to redo that line again. Yeah. I mean, you're getting pretty good at reciting lines. It's like we're meant to be on a TV show or something. Don't give anybody any, any ideas. So How crazy would that be, us being on a TV show? Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. Can yes, you imagine can. you and I being partners on the police force, just like going back there? I don't know about that. That would be hysterical. I would force you to do all the paperwork. Could we like do the podcast while driving around? That well, would be a podcast that would catch on real quick. The chief would probably be against that. I don't know. Be given. I bet West Seneca would be happy with it. Their social media presence is on fire. Yeah, but there's maybe not driving around. Maybe like during our lunch break or something. We just record. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be sweet though. I think there's an opportunity there. I'm sweating. It's hot in here. Probably because we've been in here for like an hour and a half at this point because we had to restart. Yeah, two hours and 45 minutes, actually. Um, <laughs> well, I have been setting all this stuff up. The It's like 69 degrees outside. 69. Fighting 69. That's right. It. That's right. Uh, it's very hot, though. And like next week, it's going to snow. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Dude, we're in like the fall, fake spring. That's what we call it here in well, Buffalo. Well, yeah, I just didn't know that it was going to get that cold next week. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Well, anyways, so weekly recap. Week? Yeah. You broke your toilet. Um, I, mean, I did other stuff this week besides breaking my toilet, but like that's what? the highlight. Oh. All right. Well, you got a haircut. I sure did. I went to a new place, too. Thoughts? Dope, man. Good. Sick. Good. We're, we should have them on. Okay. Because it's a barber shop that is so like do you go to a barber or do you just go to like supercuts? No, I go to a barber. You do? Do they do like the straight razor and all that stuff too? No. No. They don't straight razor your neck? No. So this new place that I'm going to, they put on their social media that they're looking for basically guinea pigs, not to be confused with pink guava beer, but they're looking for guinea pigs for their apprentice to practice on. So I'm like, my barber right now is busy. We have a getaway coming up this weekend, which we can talk about. And I need my haircut before we go. So might as well do it. So I went there. The place is sick. You walk in, there's a pool table and a full functioning bar, cocktail bar, inside. 
And then you go around the bar, and then there's all the barber chairs. Hmm. It's such a sweet vibe going in there. We we have to have him on to understand what are you doing? Like, right. how do you even go about this? How do you get a liquor license for your barber shop? Like, there has to be some explanations happening, and we need to have him on. I'm down. He sound he seems pretty cool too. Not not the apprentice, the owner. Right. He was talking to me while he was like, "Hey man, like this guy's gonna cut your hair. You you cool with that?" I'm like, "I don't I don't care. It's a simple haircut. Just cut it. I don't know what to tell you." Well, yeah. I mean, yours is. Other people's like it's a disaster. Yeah. It's an art. I can't do it. Have you ever wanted to? No. I have this weird obsession. Like I'll beard brand, not a sponsor, but they have a very have a YouTube presence, and they post videos of. Like, guys getting their beard trims and haircuts. And I'm just fascinated by it. I want to be a barber so bad. I don't know why. I'm just fascinated with shaving. That's my big thing. Because I straight razor my beard and everything. And I just, I don't know. It's just something so cool about getting the lines right. It's my OCD. Interesting. But if I would mess up, I would go off the rails because of my OCD. Right. I couldn't do it. There's too much pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. For that. Same with like tattoos and everything. I just can't. Right. No thanks. No thanks. Tattoos would stress me out. Yeah. So would surgery. Well, so I never went to med school. <laughs> you didn't? Did you ever want to go to med school? Oh my God. What did, what did you want to be before you wanted to be a cop? A corrections officer. Before that? That was it. Really? Mm-hmm. So you wanted to be in criminal justice your whole life? Yep. And then now what do you do? <laughs> I feel like we're on that uh, Mr. Deeds. Remember in Mr. Deeds when he's at the end and he's like, I wanted to be a veterinarian. He's like, what are you now? And he's like, I run a slaughterhouse. It's like, right, he kind of went backwards there. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Um, but yeah, so what did you do this week? I went for a hike. And it turned into one of the worst experiences ever. Why? So, if you don't follow me on social media with, like, my personal pages... I forgot to press record again. First of all, all, that's fine. But I posted, like, a a cliff-noted version of what happened. But basically, we got stuck in a gorge. It was my dog and I. Now, I will preface it with, I was not lost at all. I knew exactly where I was. I had maps. I had a, a, a compass. And then I also had a GPS. I knew, down to the 10 digit grid, where I was. That's within one meter. I... I was not lost. The issue was where I had to go, I was blocked by terrain, and I had to go a certain way. And that certain way was horrendous. So it was 20 degrees outside that day. It was this past Sunday at 9 a.m. So I was not alone. I took my dog, which is why this became everything. Mm -hmm. It's basically like... If I was in a car, I could easily make this turn, except I'm in this semi. So I could without a trailer, but I got a trailer. So in the gorge, I, I could have, it would have been awful um, in certain points and pretty scary, but I could have crawled and climbed my way out. My dog could not. Mm-hmm. So I had to basically choose a path that he could navigate confidently to then not get him hurt. So every decision I made was for him, not for me, mm-hmm. which led to me being soaked and my jacket being shredded and just, it was a mess. But basically... Did you have to pick him up at all? Yeah, multiple times. So there are cross-country ski trails in the park. And historically, like every park in Western New York, the paths are circles and they're giant loops. So... I thought it was like that. However, it's not. There's also not a map that kind of shows you like where these specific trails go because they're just kind of beaten in by everybody that uses them. So they could change based on year. Mm -hmm. So I was in between the Eternal Flame and Chestnut Ridge, and I parked at the Eternal Flame. Now, if anybody's used to Chestnut Ridge, you know the gorge that I'm talking about, but it's essentially when you're walking through Chestnut Ridge and you get to like the edge of the... The, the terrain Didn't per se and it's like pass away there didn't he fall yeah th- it happens all the time yeah. so it's like a mini cliff when you're looking over and you're like oh like there's a crick down there and it's pretty steep like i shouldn't go down there i was down there and there's multiples of those 
So we're on the trails having a blast, and then we walked from the Eternal Flame into Chestnut Ridge through the woods, away from the roads and away from all the people because everybody parks at the Eternal Flame and does the like garbage, super easy, less than a mile hike down to the the waterfall and relights the flame. Like we weren't doing that. So the trail that we were on connected to a second trail. That second trail ended 2.2 clicks for my truck. So when I noticed that the path was ending, I looked at my GPS and then I pulled up a map and I'm like, I'm nowhere near the parking lot. Like this, this is frustrating. So I went back on my GPS. I'm like, yeah, I'm 2.2 clicks away. So I look at Sam and I'm like, all right, bud, whatever. Like, we'll just, we'll keep doing our thing. So for those that don't know, my dog is a purebred English yellow lab. So is a good sized dog. The issue is he's still a dog. So like he's limited with his height. He can't jump super high. He's not like a cat. So there's all that. So I said, well, now that we're at this parking lot where the trail ended and there's a snowmobile path, we'll take that path. So we took the path of least resistance, which was a snowmobile path. And I'm looking around and I'm getting my bearing and I'm like, okay, I just know I got to head South to get to my truck. So I'm looking at my compass, understanding where I'm at. And I'm like, well, this is not right because now I still have to go 1.9 clicks hard left. I'm like, we're going to have to go through the woods. I'm like, it is what it is. So as I turn left to then walk into the woods, I have a fence to my left. And that fence is so high, I can't scale it with Sam. Mm -hmm. Again, I can't just like grab my dog. He's a 70 pound lab under an arm, climb a fence and then just drop him. Like it's not how this works. And then the other side of the fence was someone's backyard. And then there was, you know, like acre or two and then the road and i'm like so that's i don't like that's not what i want to do i'll just like walk through the woods and hang out with him not knowing what was ahead Mm -hmm. so to my right is the gorge and i'm like all right well that's that's fine like we're gonna stay away from that because it's super steep well we get to the first gorge cross it and it wasn't bad at all he's scaling it like a goat in afghanistan just like running around like everything's fine super confident i'm like all right he's crushing it like this is fine so i'm taking my time i get to the top and i was like all right we won't tell mom about that one so because she doesn't like the gorges for obvious reasons so as we keep walking i'm realizing the terrain is getting smaller and smaller and i'm like what's going on and the gorge basically funneled us into the fence it was like a giant V and I'm walking into it and the gorge on my right is coming up pretty close and then it cuts right across my face and I'm like, what is this? And then I realized the gorge is what splits Chestnut Ridge and the Eternal Flame and the road. The road goes over it. Hmm. So I'm looking at my GPS and I have to go one click straight south and I'm staring at this thing like the only way to get to the truck is down the gorge and up the gorge i'm like that's it that's and i'm looking at it and i'm like okay it's like a full crick at the bottom of this thing and it's all frozen so i'm looking at the ground and there's a deer a deer path i'm like well deer can't really navigate right, so a whole hell of a lot yeah. so sam should be fine so i follow <clears throat> the deer we get to the bottom of this thing not happening so i'm like this is this is sketchy like we're halfway down and it like he's starting to kind of freak out because he's not sure of his footing, so he starts to whine a little bit. And when your dog whines at you, you feel like yeah. you're helpless. Yeah, and you're like, like, oh, my God. He's like, Dad, what are you doing to me? Right. So we get down to the bottom, and I look around, and I'm starting to reassess. And I'm like, there's almost no way out because the other side was steeper than the side that we scaled down. So where did the deer go? Did the deer make it up that hill? It stopped. It stopped like 85% of the way down and laid down and went to bed. The deer? Yeah. Jesus. And the deer bed was still there. And I'm like, okay, so it slept, which it which makes sense because they like knowing where like they like their back up against something basically. So that that obviously makes sense for the deer. But I just didn't think about that, especially this time of year. So I'm like, of course, whatever. So now we're standing in this creek and we're standing on thick ice, but there's flowing water underneath, and then it gets thinner and thinner, and I'm like, here we go. So basically, long story short, we try to scale up, didn't work, went back down, try to scale up, didn't work, went back down, and it was when we scaled up, you're climbing over dead trees. You're doing everything you can to stay safe. You're looking at him. He's like, I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I feel helpless. So he starts crying and whining. And I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. So everything became whatever gets my dog out of here without injury is right. all that matters. And then that was it. So then I thought to myself, the only way out is up. So I knew I had to gain elevation. And the only way to safely do that 
safely was going upstream in the stream. So I'm like, this is it. We're just going to get soaked and it's going to be freezing. But it is what it is. As long as I keep moving, I know I won't lose my feet. So it is what it is. So we start breaking through the ice and I'm walking upstream in this frozen creek and he's right behind me. And like when people say dogs are loyal, like you don't fully understand how loyal they are. It's not like, oh, I'm so happy you're home from work. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to follow you until I die. Like it's me and you. Mm -hmm. And he's just like right on my hip through the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I have to make good decisions because it's all based on him, not me. So I'm trying to pick him up and get him out of like the super hairy situations when he's halfway up the cliff. And I'm wearing a a lightweight Patagonia and his paws just shred it and like stuffing's coming out. And I was like, here we go. I guess it is what it is. So the jacket's garbage at this point. So I'm still tipped down, trucking through this crick. And then after a mile of that, we finally get out and he's soaked. His belly's got like small ice cubes on it and the fur's like frozen together. So once we finally got out, I realized that I was then on the other side of the street in someone's backyard, hmm. got to the road, walked south for a mile, got to my truck, drove home barefoot, got home. We both showered, and then that was it. We spent the rest of the day on the couch because I was smoked. And then the next day I woke up, I was so sore, it was ridiculous. <laughs> like, my dude, I fell down this gorge. Like, there's so many things that we can't talk about because we don't have time, but it was just ridiculous. But anyways, we're safe. Always travel upstream because water flows downhill, so... You're uh you're sending me snaps of your story or um like the adventure your whole mission. And I'm sitting on the couch with a warm cup of coffee and Cleo's laying across my lap and I'm just like showing her the video. I'm like, see, see Cleo, this is why your daddy is smarter. hundred <laughs> percent. It was a disaster. Oh god. Yeah, but I mean you guys had fun. Yeah, we did. All in all, it was scary, but it was fun. Because you guys like doing that. If I took Cleo to that, she would die. 100%. Because she gets, first of all, if it snows a lot, she can't go outside in the backyard because she's smaller. Yeah. I mean, the distance between her stomach and the ground is smaller. Right. So she wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff. It's crazy. Good for you, man. I give you credit. We got out. And then otherwise, just keep working on the office. Yeah. That was it. You making progress on it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm happy when you sent me the picture of you putting the molding. I'm like, please tell me he gave enough room for that carpet. Cause I knew that carpet was going in. You made me proud. Goes in tomorrow. I was happy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm stoked. What color are you doing? Gray. Gray carpet. Dark gray carpet. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It'll look, it'll, the whole thing will just pop. It's just going to be way better. So I'm excited. You'll see it. You'll be proud. Cool. I like to hear that. All right. Well, what time are we at? 20 minutes. Well, an hour and a half. If you count that. <laughs> We've been talking for eons, Mike. I know. Um, All right. You want to get into the whiskey section? Yes. All right. So this is the point of our show where we take a drink of some whiskey. Well, we've actually been drinking it for a little bit now since we've been recording since yesterday feels like so the whiskey that we have today is the fighting 69th we wanted to have this whiskey on today because it's an irish whiskey and saint patty's day is right around when this releases i don't when is saint patty's day the 17th why are you acting like i should know this how do you not know that why wouldn't you because you're italian who yeah. cares everyone's irish so on it's saint next patty's week day. so okay so Couple, oh, this is actually, the review is releasing right on St. Patty's Day. Yeah, that's why we're doing Would it Would you look at that? Yeah. Well, I thought it was just close by. But anyway, so this is the Fighting 69th Regiment Whiskey. It's an Irish whiskey, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. So the whiskey itself is the Fighting 69th Irish Whiskey. It's 80 proof, 40% ABV, and it MSRPs for $37.99. They won the gold medal at the 2020 International Spirits Competition with a score of 94 and some company background. So we're going to do kind of two parts to this. We're going to talk about the Fighting 69th Regiment itself, then we're going to talk about the whiskey because there's a lot to talk about about the Fighting 69th itself. So all dates back to the Civil War. The regiment has been 
combat in five wars, the American Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the Iraq War, and the Afghanistan War. It has also participated in 23 campaigns, so many that the staff of its regimental colors are authorized to be one foot longer than normal to accommodate them all. Founded in 1849 as the 1st Irish Regiment, the Fighting 69th initially wasn't a U.S. military unit at all. Rather, it was an all-Irish citizen militia created to train young Irishmen living in New York City in military tactics in hopes of eventually going back to Ireland to expel the British from the Irish homeland. So, grand plans of freeing Ireland from British rule never materialized, but when the Civil War broke out in 1861, the first Irish volunteered to fight for the Union cause. Shortly reorganizing as the 69th Infantry New York State Volunteers, the Irishmen quickly gained a reputation as the go-to unit for any tough and even hopeless missions. The 69th first seized action at the Battle of First Bull Run in 1861. Thomas Marr. Uh, was born in Waterford, Ireland, uh, and he was a fiery Irish revolutionary who was convicted of sedition and nearly executed by the Brits in 1848. Finally exiled to Tasmania, he staged a daring escape, then made his way to New York where he became a hero of the Irish community. Handsome, charismatic, and highly social, it describes me perfectly. Marr so, uh, shortly earned his U.S. citizenship and then a law degree. By the 1860s, he became interested in U.S. politics. He joined the U.S. Army and, after initially siding with the Confederacy, joined the Union Army and soon became an officer. After leading the 69th in the Battle of First Bull Run, he was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General. Marr went on to lead Irish Brigade through some of the fiercest battles of the Civil War, including the Seven-Day Campaign, Antietam, right? Did I pronounce that right? I don't know. Now I feel like you. Was, Fredericksburg and yeah. Chancellorville. It was before my time, bro. <laughs> the city of Waterford, Ireland celebrates their native son every year at the Tricolor Celebration in June at the place of his birth, the Granville Hotel in Quay. The celebration is attended by dignitaries from the Irish Parliament as well as guests from the Fighting 69th Regiment. So the Fighting 69th got its name. On June 1st, or July 1st, 1862, Confederate forces marched on Union positions in Malvern Hill near the Confederate capital at Richmond, Virginia. Leading the charge against the advancing Southern troops, the 69th forced the retreat of the famed Louisiana Tigers, an action that spurred Robert E. Lee himself to nickname the regiment the Fighting 69th. Jesus. All right, so World War II now. We're transitioning from the Civil War to World War II. When America entered World War, or I'm sorry, World War I. When America entered World War I, young men from New York's Irish neighborhood rushed to fill the ranks of the old Fighting 69th. Renumbered as the 165th Infantry Regiment, the unit was sent to the Western Front in October 1917 as part of the 42nd Ramo Division of American Expeditionary Force under General John Pershing. So there's a guy named Father Francis Patrick Duffy, you know him, known as the Fighting Chaplain. Father Francis Patrick Duffy is a Fighting 69th legend, the most highly decorated clergyman in U.S. Army history. Duffy served as chaplain of the 69th Infantry in France during World War I. There, he was typically seen under fire, unarmed, and encouraging the men in battle and assisting medics as they recovered their wounded. So critical was Duffy to the morale of the 69th, redesigned as a 165th, that Brigade, uh, Brigade Commander Brigadier General Douglas McCarthy briefly considered promoting him to regimental commander. Duffy considered every member of the Fighting 69th, whatever their background, an honorary Irishman. As he once said, they are Irish by adoption, Irish by association, or Irish by conviction. After the war, in recognition of his bravery and leadership, Duffy was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, the Distinguished Service Medal, the Conspicuous Service Cross, and the Legion d'Honneur uh, and the Croix de Guerre. Duffy went on to serve as a pastor of Holy Cross Church near Times Square, the northern end of which commemorated as Duffy Square. A monument to Father Duffy stands there to this day. Total casualties of the regiment during World War I amounted to 644 killed, 2,587 wounded. That said, 60 members of the 165th earned the Distinguished Service Cross. Three more were honored the Medal of Honor, including famed 1st Battalion Commander William Joseph Donovan, which you might have heard from our other prominent people Buffalo section because he was a Buffalo native. More around him. Go back and check that out. He was obviously pivotal in the Fighting 69th, but he was 
so much more too with the CIA, the the start of everything. It was a great episode that Mike did for two of those episodes. So go back and check that out. So on returning from France, Donovan said, the morale of the regiment has never been better. Formerly, 85% of its strength were of Irish descent, and now it's only 50%. But the spirit of the old fighting 69th is stronger than ever. The replacements, whether they are Jews, Italians, or other foreign descents, are more Irish now than the Irish. In World War II, so now we're transitioning to World War II, they were sent to California to defend a presumptive attack by Japanese after Pearl Harbor. In 1943, they were sent to Hawaii Island, Kauai, and then redeployed to Oahu to train for the landings of Butaritari Island, which led them to defend against the Banzai attack. In 1944, they landed in Saipan and captured the Aslito Airfield, then redeployed to Purple Heart Ridge where they were cleared despite heavy flanking fire. In 1945, they deployed to Okinawa. A coordinated assault began on Manchinato on April 19th with the 27th assigned to the right flank along the west coast of the island. All in all, the 69th lost 472 men over the course of that Second World War. So now Cold War and after. Following World War II, the 69th remained a National Guard unit and was therefore not called up for either the Korea or Vietnam War. In 1993, the regiment became briefly uh, briefly became the 69th Air Defense Artillery Regiment. However, after protests from family members of the unit it, and its many veterans, the 69th was returned to its traditional role as an infantry unit and given back its original regimental number, the 69th. Operation Noble Eagle. The Fighting 69th Armory is located at Lexington Avenue, and 25th Street in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. It's therefore no surprise that the 69th was one of the first military units to respond to the September 11th attacks. Members of the regiment helped to secure Ground Zero that morning. Two were killed conducting rescue operations. Operation Iraqi Freedom In May 2004, the Fighting 69th was placed under federal command once again, this time for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Deployed overseas for the first time since World War II, the 69th patrolled Taji Radwinia and Baghdad, and helped suppress rocket and mortar attacks on the Green Zone in Camp Cook. Overall, 19 members of the 69th were killed in action, and 78 were wounded, before the unit returned to New York in September 2005. So in March 2006, New York City dedicated the St. Patrick's Day Parade to the Fighting 69th. On on March 13, 2008, the House of Representatives passed House Resolution uh, 991, recognizing the 69th Infantry. The resolution was sponsored by Representative Steve Israel, a Democrat from New York, and passed unanimously. So Operation Enduring Freedom. In 2008, approximately 300 soldiers from the 69th deployed to Afghanistan as part of Task Force Phoenix, attached to the 27th Infantry Brigade Combat Team. There, the 69th helped stabilize Hindu Kush and train Afghan security forces. Four members of the 69th were killed in the process, while unit officially returned to New York in the summer of 2009, elements of the battalion, approximately 300 soldiers, returned to Afghanistan in 2012 as part of a regular rotation of National Guard units. Today, the 69th consists of a single light infantry battalion, 1st Battalion, 69th Regiment, and is part of the 27th Infantry Brigade of the 42nd Infantry Division. The 69th devotion and courage continues to earn its pride and place at the New front of New York's annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. A certified national public landmark, the 69th Regiment Armory, spans a full Manhattan block. To this day, House of New York Army National Guard, 1st Battalion, 69th Infantry Regiment Headquarters. There, the 69th Infantry Regiment staff conducts programs to preserve and educate visitors on the history, traditions, heraldry, lineage, armory, and historical artifacts of the regiment. They also provide various forms of assistance to unit members, unit veterans, and their families. It's a lot, bro, and we can go on and on, but that's overall the summary of the Fighting 69th. So a little bit of the whiskey background, getting back to this specific bottle of whiskey. So the Fighting 69th has long celebrated its Irish heritage, and in this tradition, we bring you the first Irish whiskey. In the 19th century, Irish whiskey was not or was most popular spirit in the world, and today it is the fastest growing whiskey category in the world. This fine whiskey is a tribute to the Irish-American spirit and a perfect tribute to America's own Irish brigade. 
We use only the finest high-quality distilling grains. Our mash bill consists of finest barley and and malted barley, which gives Irish whiskey its unique, distinctive character. We use a variety of mash bills to complete the minimum three-year aging process in bourbon casks, and then we also do secondary cask finishing. So the whiskey is triple distilled in handmade copper pot stills designed for maximum vapor and copper interaction. The Fighting 69th Irish Whiskey is uniquely or is unique and superb blend of three different distillates, which undergo separate finishing processes. Um, those finishing processes include secondary finishing in single char cask, double char, oloroso sherry, rum, and port casks. So this uniquely finishing blend results in a fine distillate that is both robust in character and a full smooth finish, a fitting tribute to the Fighting 69th. And there you go, man. Sounds like a good place to stop. Take a drink, dude. The so I deployed with the 69th. I was uh, I did eight and a half years and 27th IBCT. So the way this is split up is the 69th has Alpha Bravo and Charlie Company. Now with the infantry, you have companies, and then with like cavalry scouts and cavalry units, you have. In the squadron, you have troops. So what's interesting about the National Guard is the 2101 Cav that falls under the 27th IBCT, which is under the 42 ID. You have Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. Mm -hmm. And those troops are Cav Scouts, Cav Scouts, infantrymen, support. So you have Alpha and Bravo troop, and they're 19 Deltas, Cav Scouts. And then you have Charlie Troop, which is a dismounted reconnaissance unit, which I served eight and a half years in as Blue Court Infantrymen, trained at the only place, same as the Fighting 69th at Fort Benning, Georgia. And then you have all your support elements under Dark Horse, which is the, the support element for Alpha Bravo and Charlie under 27th IBCT. So that 2012 deployment you mentioned, mm-hmm. which was part of the rotation for National Guard units. That was a Kuwait deployment in 2012. So a lot of people say, like, Kuwait's not a deployment. Like, all right, dude, chill out. Times were different in 2004. Times were different in 2012. And it is what it is. However, I missed that deployment by, like, three months. So if I joined when I wanted to, not when I did, I would have been on that deployment. Mm -hmm. So I would have deployed twice if I joined when I did. So when I deployed in 2017, I deployed with the 69th because 42 ID said we need grunts to actually train and run missions and we need their expertise. And then if anything goes away, we need them to actually do their job. And obviously when that order came down, I'm like, let's do it. So my first impression of the 69th, we all wear the same unit patch, which is 27th IBCT. Um, However, it's very interesting because you know who's who. And the first time I met our mega fan, he was smoking a cigarette, leaning up against a pole, and he's a former 82nd dude. So, yeah, my grandpa served in the 82nd Airborne. So he went from all America, all American 82nd Airborne to the Fighting 69th. So the amount of pride that this human being has in his army units is just astounding. <laughs> so he's standing up, and I look at him, and he's Italian, but he looks like Middle Eastern. And I'm like, what? Really? Like, you? Like, I, I have to work with you for a year? And then he's like, how you doing? And he's, like, automatically <laughs> playing games. And I'm like, here we go. Like, downstate, dude. Like, this is going to be it. And then within, like, three and a half minutes, we were best friends for life. I'm like, this is... Because, we like, it was instant. I'm yeah. like, this is it. So when he gifted this to us, I'm like, okay, first of all, like, we can't open it until it's on the show. So right. you and I have never had this until today. Yeah. And... I wish we could spend three hours talking about the 69th because you mentioned the amount of guys that they lost, which is important. What I want to know is how many people have they taken Damn. because they're absolute warriors and I love everything about them. And when I deployed with, I, I, I have a lot of friends in, in Bravo and Charlie company and they're, they're top notch dudes. Like they all know their job. They're professional, but at the same time they emulate everything you want in yeah. an infantryman. Can you hand me the bottle quick? Because they don't have their own distillery. So I'm, no, I, don't know where they uh, actually distilled. Distilled, aged, and bottled in Ireland. Imported by Indigo Wine and Spirits. Yeah, I don't think that they actually I wonder if they pulled own. security on it while it was getting transported. <laughs> Probably. Good thought. 
Well, let's rate this thing. Interesting. Well, do you have a cocktail or no? Neat. I'm not going to disrespect the Fighting 69's Irish whiskey. Well, they have cocktail recommendations. I know. So I'm going to. Mine's neat. What do you got? The fight. Oh, okay. Uh, fighting. <laughs> yeah, drop the beef for the cocktail section. Cocktails. Boom. You're welcome. Uh, so I have the Fighting 69th Irish coffee. This is one and a half ounces of Irish whiskey, five teaspoons of sugar, fill, or yeah, 0.5 teaspoons of sugar. Jesus, five teaspoons would be a lot. Fill with coffee, top with Irish cream liqueur, then garnish with some whipped cream. Nailed it. Coffee? Yeah. Little Irish 69th coffee. Actually sounds really good. All right, so you want to rate this thing? Yeah, label branding. Let's do it. What? I tried to skip and go straight for label branding, so you didn't do that, but instead you just dragged it out and made it worse. Mm Shows you. <laughs> <laughs> this is showbiz, baby. <laughs> All right. So label branding. I had no idea what this looked like. I knew about the whiskey. I knew the 69th had their own bottle. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, I would I would drink it. And then years later, I actually got a bottle as gift from Megafan. So did you. So when we looked at this, I'm like, this is actually, like, fancy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gold on it. And I do, obviously... There needs to be green. So thank God they put the green right. stripe on it because otherwise, like, what are we doing? The green is like in the fighting 69th too, right? Yeah. yeah. So they, um, the outer border of each letter is green, which is sweet. So there's a lot of depth to that label. There's a lot going on. They have like pins. They have different crests. They have logos on here. I, it's, I mean... There's a full thing, and then mm-hmm. the back goes into it as well. Um, it is a cork, mm-hmm. so that obviously increases. It's like a rubber rating. cork, though, isn't it? It's not a real cork. Either way, it does the job. It's not a screw cap, which I'm happy with, but it looks like a rubber cork or something. Yeah, yeah, and it has slancha on it, right? Isn't that the phrase? Slancha, cheers, Irish for cheers, or is Salante, it- yeah, Mahidi. Slanja, whatever. There you go. You pronounce it. There you go. Gentle one stroke. Okay, you ready? The Irish Brigade, New York City. Gentle one stroked, fierce when provoked. There we go. Hell yeah. Like that. All right, so label a, branding A plus plus. A plus plus, Chuck Mark. Okay. You got that? Savant? Mm-hmm. You're going to lock it in your steel trap? Hey, Greg, Greg. No, I agree. A plus plus check mark. I like that nose. Nose. Uh, so they mentioned their mash bill, but they didn't specify their percentages of said mash bill. Correct. So when I first looked at this, I'm like, "This has to be high corn," and I don't think it is. No, it's malted and unmalted. Right, right, which is interesting. I. I could have sworn that it would have been high corn, and it's not. Just based on color alone, looking at it until we had it, and then until you talked about it. On the nose, I'm getting... So it's Irish whiskey. What do we know about it? (sighs) It's made the right way. Just to throw some salt into your wound about how much you love scotch. (laughs) How's that? Dereek. Some of them do use peat, but not all of them. But yeah, so it has to be made in Ireland. It has to be aging for at least three years. That's how they're able to call it Irish whiskey. It has, has to, to enter at a certain... 190. Yep. It has to enter it no more than 190. Or distilled at no more than 190. It has and, to enter still 125. And this is triple distilled or triple, triple distilled. filtered? Okay. Triple distilled and it's pot still whiskey. So there's a lot of chemical reactions that happen within the distilling process. So on the nose, you're getting a lot of that barley. Yeah, but it's interesting because it's almost – I have to wait for the initial taste, but you do kind of get like a a very, very, very small hint of peat. Yeah. And you're kind of – They might use peat. I don't know. I don't know where they distill this. What do you mean, dude? Know everything. Why don't you call this guy personally and be like, yo, head distiller, what's going on? Wasn't – we're oh, the no. Buffalo Happy Hour podcast. I don't know if you've heard of us yet, but can the, you give us all your intricate details? Meg, yeah, right. Megafan has a bottle signed by Head Distiller. Oh, really? Is that what he said? 
Maybe. Or he knows someone that does. Yeah. All right. So knows kind of getting like a, a caramel and barley. It's very grain forward on the nose to me. I agree with that. I agree. I agree, I agree. a lot. Um, you get. It's very pleasant though. It's very light. To me. So I just get caramel on the nose. A, a little bit of toffee. A. Yeah, I'm fine with A on the nose. Initial okay. taste. I do get a little peat. That's probably just the barley, but I get leather too. There's a lot happening inside my palate right now, but the there's almost no burn. The burn is very upfront in your mouth, and it really doesn't even get past your tonsils. Yeah. It just sits inside your mouth. To me, I'm just getting caramel butterscotch up front. I'm not getting a ton of peat. That. I agree with that. I think it's I do. I do get peat, but I. Yeah. I mean, the the for me, those are the three. Caramel butterscotch. Okay, four. Caramel butterscotch, leather, and peat. That's what I'm getting on this. Ending note: It dissipates extremely quick. Mm-hmm. You don't really salivate a lot with this, which I find interesting. But it, probably because it's an eighty proof. Yeah. So, I mean, they cut they cut this. I wonder what this would be at strength. Yeah, they cut it a lot. You are kind of getting that that watery taste at the end, like yeah. it was cut to be an eighty proof. That yeah. could just be because you and I drink hundred super proof. hot, yeah. right? But you're you're getting a little bit of that lightness at the end, which is making this to be a really refreshing drink. This is it hits you with the flavors up front. But as it's going down, the flavors dissipate. You get a lot of the oil in the back. Um, it doesn't stay in your mouth for very long. Instead, it transitions. It gives you a pretty high hug. But that makes you want another sip because all the flavors go away. This isn't oily for me. No, not at all. And, yeah, it's not just dissipates. It's just eliminated. Like, there's nothing on your palate anymore. Yeah. The I only thought it was oily, but it's not. The only thing you get is you get a, a lingering burn on the top of your tongue, and that's literally it. The rest mm-hmm. of it, it's it's essentially eliminated, and then you just want more. Yeah. And then when you drank about a glass or two, your stomach's warm, and then you just want more of it because you're like, all right, let's yeah. we're hanging with the boys. So a, I'm good with an A. All right. Final rating? Yep. All right. Give me that countdown. Three, two, one. 87. 87.5. Nice. Math. It's good, man. It's really good. It's a nice, easy sipper. I wasn't expecting that from this. Same. I was thinking it was going to be like this overpowering. I don't even know. I don't know what I was expecting. I was afraid it wasn't going to be this good. Yeah. That's what I was afraid of, but they did a good job with this. I like it. Mega fan, thank you. Appreciate you. Yes, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, but yeah, that's it. So you want to get into the last prominent people of Buffalo section. Yeah, and then for the next couple weeks, we're just going to go off the rails and take a break from having sections. We're just going to discuss. Nailed it. So this is our last prominent people Buffalo section where we are just going to talk about Frank Lloyd Wright and then that's it. Then you don't get stuff for like another month. We're just going to spitball and probably lose all of our subscribers, but that's fine. So let's round out with Frank Lloyd Wright. Episode 12, Frank Lloyd Wright. He was born June 1867. Spoiler alert, he died April 1959. He was an American architect, designer, writer, and educator. He designed more than a thousand structures over a creative period of 70 years. Wright believed in designing in harmony with humanity and the environment, which was a philosophy he called organic architecture. Now... This philosophy was exemplified in his work called Falling Water, which we'll talk about. Uh, It was built in 1935. It has now been called the best all-time work of American architecture. Wright played a key role in the architectural movements of the 20th century, influencing generations of architects worldwide through his works. 
layman's terms, he was the first dude to design a home into the landscape, not design the landscape. Or I'm sorry. So yes, yeah, so he designed with the landscape around the home. Typically, you would just put a house on top of a hill. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to put the house into the hill. So that's basically what happened. He was the pioneer of what came to be called the Prairie School Movement of Architecture, and he also developed the concept of the Us Onian Home in Broadacre City, his unique vision for urban planning in the U.S. In addition to his houses, don't yawn, stand up. In addition to his houses, Wright designed original and innovative offices, churches, schools, skyscrapers, hotels, museums, and other structures, which I had no idea. I just thought it was like a couple homes. Uh, I just thought this guy was just falling waters. Like, it's like, see ya, I'm yeah. famous, bye. Yeah, and like a couple houses in the city. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, he often designed interior elements for these buildings as well, including furniture and stained glass. Oh, interesting. He was recognized in 91 by the American Institute of Architects as the greatest American architect of all time. He was raised in rural Wisconsin. Uh, he studied civil engineering at the University of Wisconsin and then apprenticed in Chicago. He opened his own successful Chicago practice in 1893 and he established a studio in his Oak Park, Illinois home in 1898. His colorful personal life made headlines. Uh, he left his first wife, Catherine Tobin, for Ma... 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 You know what? For Miss Cheney. We're going to go with that. <laughs> in 1909, uh, the I'm murders... Really interested to see what her name is now. Mama? M-A-M-A-H. So... Mama... Yeah. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> so uh, he left his first wife for Miss Cheney in 1909. The murders at his Taliesin estate. So this was an estate that he owned. It was 600 acres um, that draftsmen and other people lived at. There was like a full staff that helped maintain this place and like provided food. Well, a staff member in 1914, um, his Tempest Tempestosos? Something crazy. I don't know. An SAT word. All right, relax. (laughs) Marriage with a second wife, Miriam Noel, in 1923, and his relationship with... Did you say something about murder? Yeah, we'll get to it. Oh. So there was a a relationship with Olga Vanna Lezovic. She sounds super American, (laughs) whom he married in 1928. By 1901, he completed about 50 projects, including many houses in Oak Park. So between 1900 and 1901, super wide range of years, Frank Lloyd Wright completed four houses, which have since been identified as the onset of prairie style. Um, So Wright's residential designs of this era were known as prairie houses because the the designs complemented the land around Chicago. The prairie-style houses often had a combination of these features, one or two stories with one-story projections, an open floor plan, low-pitched roofs with broad overhanging eaves, we know about those, strong horizontal lines, ribbons of windows, often casements, a prominent central chimney built in stylized cabinetry, and a wide use of natural materials. So basically what's used today. Yeah. With Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, Hashtag not a sponsor. Please be one, though, because I need help in my home. Uh, So the organic and natural materials that he used were especially stone and wood. By 1909, Wright had begun to reject the upper-middle-class prairie-style single-family home model and shifted his focus to a more democratic architecture. He went to Europe in 1909 with a portfolio of his work and presented it to a Berlin publisher named Ernst Wasmuth studies and his work right so studies and executed buildings of Frank Lloyd Wright was published in 1911 and it was the first major exposure of Wright's work in Europe the work contained more than 100 lithographs and Wright's of his designs and is commonly known as the Wasmuth portfolio which I think is rude because this dude just worked with him he didn't literally do any of the work (laughs) well anyways in 1903 Wright was designing a home for Edwin Cheney, who was a neighbor in Oak Park. Is he related to Mama Cheney? I don't know, but he became enamored with the dude's wife. and Mama Cheney. Yeah, so she was a modern woman with interests outside the home. 
interesting. She was an early feminist. Well then, and right. Her hair was blue. He viewed her as an intellectual equal. The relationship became the talk of the town, and they often could be seen taking rides in Wright's automobile through Oak Park in 1909. How risque. I know. So Wright and Mama Cheney met up in Europe. Leaving their spouses and kids behind. Jesus Christ. Right? So Wright remained in Europe for almost a year, first in Florence, Italy, where he lived. And... All right, respect. Florence, Italy. Right. So he lived with his eldest son, Lloyd. And later in Fasoli, Italy... Gina's going to destroy me for saying this incorrectly, (laughs) but whatever. She's like, you're so dumb. (laughs) Where he... So he lived there with Mama. During this time, Edwin Cheney granted Mama a divorce, although Kitty, who still refused to grant one to her husband. So after Wright returned to the United States in October 1910, he persuaded his mom to buy land for him in Spring Green, Wisconsin. The land was bought on April 10th, 1911. Uh, which was an adjacent to land that was held by his mother's family, the Lloyd Joneses, which I think is where the term comes from, keeping up with the Joneses, but who knows. Uh, So Wright began to build himself a new home, which he called Telesine. So I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but you can deal with it. That was in May of 1911. The recurring theme of Taliesin also came from his mom's side. Taliesin in Welsh mythology was a poet, and magician and priest. And the family motto, it's a different language, but it's why gwer yin urbany bid, and it means the truth against the world. That's what I was going to say. Me too. Uh, <laughs> it was taken from the Welsh poet Lolo Morgan Wug. <laughs> it's, it's Morgan with WG at the end, so we're, how would you pronounce that? We're killing this. We're killing it. Crushing it. <laughs> So those people had a son named Taliesin, so they basically named the, the estate after him. The motto is still used today as the cry of the Druids and Ch- uh, Chef Bard at some place in Wales. So on August 15th, 1914, while Wright was working in Chicago, a servant, Julian Carlton, set fire to the, the living quarters of Taliesin and then murdered seven people with an axe oh, as the fire burned. He was fine, totally mentally stable. So... The dead included Mama, her two kids, John and Martha Cheney, a gardener, a draftsman, a workman, and then the workman's, I'm sorry, another workman's son. So the two people survived the mayhem, one of whom was William Weston, who helped put out the fire that almost completely consumed the residential wing of the house. And then Carlton swallowed hydroxy... Chloroquine? No. (laughs) No. Close though, Hyd- hydroxy hydroxychloric acid. So yeah, basically, yeah. Um, in an attempt to kill himself, he was nearly lynched on the spot, but was taken to the Dodgevin Jail. He died from starvation seven weeks after the attack, despite medical attention. So now we're going to get into happier times, which was Falling Water, which was one of Wright's most famous property residences and completed in 1937. It was built for Mr. and Mrs. Edgar J. Kaufman, Sr. at Mill Run, Pennsylvania. And it was constructed over a 30-foot waterfall designed according to Wright's desire to place the occupants close to the natural surroundings. The house was intended to be more of a family getaway rather than a live-in home. The construction is a series of catalavered balconies and terraces using limestone for all vertical and concrete for the horizontals. The house cost $155,000, including the architect fee of eight grand. It was one of Wright's most expensive pieces. Kaufman-owned engineers argued that the design was not sound and they were overruled by Wright. But the contractor secretly added extra steel to the horizontal concrete elements. In 94, Robert Silman and associates examined the building and developed a plan to restore it. So in the late 1990s, the steel supports were added under the lowest uh, catalavir until a detailed structural analysis could be done. And then in March 02, post-tensioning of the lowest terrace was completed. So on April 4th, 1959... 
Wright was hospitalized for abdominal pains and was operated on April 6th. He seemed to be recovering, but then he quietly died on April 9th. After his death, his legacy was plagued with turmoil for years. His third wife, Olga Vanna's dying wish, had been that Wright, she, and her daughter, by her first marriage, all be cremated and entered together in a memorial garden being built at Tellison West. Hmm. So this woman wanted Wright, herself, and her kids to be cremated and then placed at the same gravesite. Tracking that? Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. According to his own wishes, Wright's body had been laid in Lloyd-Jones Cemetery next to the Unity Chapel near Tallison in Wisconsin. So although the third wife, Ogilvania, had taken no legal steps to move Wright's remains and against the wishes of other family members as well as the Wisconsin legislator, in 1985 his remains were removed from his grave by members of the Tallison Fellowship, then cremated, and then sent to Scottsdale, where they were later interned in the Memorial Garden. The original gravesite in Wisconsin, now empty, is still marked with his name. Interesting. So after his death, most of his archives were stored at the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation in Tallison, which is Wisconsin, and Tallison West, which is Arizona. Uh, these collections include more than 23,000 architectural drawings, some 44,000 photos, 600 manuscripts, and more than 300,000 pieces of office and personal correspondence. It also contained about 40 large-scale architectural models, most of which were constructed for MoMA's retrospective of rights in 1940. He designed over 400 built structures, of which about 300 survive as of 2005. So this is what I found probably the most interesting out of the entire thing, other than the murder. Five... Of those structures have been lost due to the forces of nature. The waterfront house for W.L. Fuller in Mississippi was destroyed by Hurricane Camille in August 1969. The Lewis Sullivan Bungalow of Mississippi was destroyed by Hurricane Katrina in 05. And the Aranabu Fukunahara house... In 1918 in Japan was destroyed in the, in the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake, and then in January 2006 the Wilbur Wyant House in Gary, Indiana. That's Gary, what a basic name for a place, <laughs> and it would be Indiana. It was destroyed by fire, and then in 2018 the Arch Obelia Complex in Malibu, California, was gutted in the Wolseley Fire. So that's Frank Lloyd Wright. So everything's what did, fine. What did he have to do with Buffalo? He built a bunch of houses in Buffalo. So we just like commemorated him. So we we basically flex and we're like we got a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright houses in Buffalo. Gotcha. Like wouldn't know about that. And then everyone's like, oh my god, Frank Lloyd Wright. So it wasn't born here. He didn't spend time here. He just had influence on stuff here. So his architecture is what helps elevate Buffalo's architecture to another level because we're known for architecture in Buffalo mm-hmm. between the Goth churches, which we learned about in Collage together. Um, and then there's also the other. I think I remember any of that course. You're insane. You, you, dude. Half of this podcast is because of that course. Which one? Modern art. Oh, I thought you were talking about religion. No, no. We just have a lot of inside jokes <laughs> from that class, but we never talk about those on camera. All 250 subs would go away in like 13 seconds. Like these guys are terrible. Like correct, but we love small business, so fight the good so fight. So what's up? Subscribe. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Okay. So I honestly didn't know that he really had no involvement other than, like, I, I didn't know that he didn't have residence here. I just assumed that he did at well, some point. I guess he did when he was building houses here, but it wasn't permanent. Sure. So, yeah. Because I know the Larkin building downtown, the Larkin administration building that's still up now, I think, had a lot of his influence. That's why they built in the parking lot for some reason. They built, like, a small structure to be like, eh, Frank Ledroy kind of structure here. Kind of like the Edmund building. They're so random. We're like, with all what, that. what are you talking about? Like, yeah, well, it's a parking lot. They're like, yeah, I know Frank Lloyd Wright. I'm like, <laughs> nailed it. All I right, know, perfect. Flat surface, <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Whatever. It's just weird, but cool, interesting. All right, well, everybody, this has been the last episode in the Prominent People of Buffalo section. Now we're just Woo! going to spitball for probably like a month because we're sick. 
of doing research. No, I'm just kidding. But we just wanted a break from it. Uh, th- this has been very structured for – this has been 12 episodes. The last one was eight, so six months now, basically. It was structured – episodes where we're just talking about everything now you're just breaking stuff playing the guitar um but yeah so thank you everybody thanks for tagging along with us on these segment miniseries journeys we're going to start up again in probably like about a month to discuss celebrities of buffalo or something like that and uh like chad michael murray yeah don't think i forgot because i knew and william fickner prison break (laughs) fans uh, he's literally one of my favorite actors I of all him. time. Yeah, and he's so prominent. So we're just going to dive in right now. So we'll leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but thank everybody for joining us. We really appreciate it. Again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like this video. Leave a comment. Any support helps. Go forward this video to some of your friends. We have a ton of interviews coming up. Last week, we released the interview with Vic Carucci. For sure. And this coming week. No, no, no. Week, Gadot. Because it's first line Gadot, Vic. No, it's first Reed. line Vic, Gadot, and then Reed. I think, right? I don't know. Let me check. Hold Either on. Way. Hold on. So, we can't. We can't give false info to the people and get their hopes up. We got a lot of stuff coming up. That's what we're trying to get at. Literally here. all the things. So it's first line: Gadot, Vic, okay. Reed. So last week was Gadot. Coming up is Vic. So if you have interest in any of those businesses or people, because it's going to be great times. Forward this to some of your friends. Make sure you like the video. Go follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook. We're at the Buffalo Happy Hour on Facebook and at the Buffalo Happy Hour 12 on Instagram. And you can find us on all the platforms. So please leave a review if you enjoyed the podcast so far. So, Michael, we have a vacation to get ready. Well, an overnight stay to get ready for because we're very important people now. And we got to get ready for that. So let's round out today's episode. Please, everybody, remember to drink responsibly, be a good person. And, Michael, don't litter. We're out. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.